you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. All right, tonight we are in Acts uh, chapter 10. I need to give a little disclaimer. Uh, This is the moment you are at somebody's house and they are trying out a new recipe on you. So, had that moment in life? No one has. Great. We're off to a roaring start, Invitation Church, let me tell you. You've been in that moment in life? Yeah, okay. So, it's helpful to kind of know, hey, this is a new recipe. Hey, this is how this food is spicy or it's new, whatever. As we jump into Acts chapter 10, uh, the disclaimer tonight is an understanding of how the ancient world is organized. So my assumption is you have a way that your car is organized. For some of you, it's like if there's some place for a thing, what's just going to be thrown in the back somewhere, and then it's really fun a couple times a year. It's kind of like Christmas morning to see what all you have in there. Uh, There's a way you can organize your house. And some of us are very meticulous about how we organize our house. There's a corner of the house that the vacuum goes in. And there's a place near the toilet where the plunger goes, right? There's there's a way that you have organized and ordered your life. Some of you have a way that you have ordered and organized your phone. So some of you have your apps organized in little cute families so you can find it quickly. Others of you, it's like page after page after page after page after page. It's good for you to know that the Bible's organized. And the ancient world is organized. And we're going to read two accounts today that are really one account that it's important for us to recognize that the way that the ancient world is organized is clean and unclean. Clean. And unclean. And you know this. You know about this because in your mind, there are animals in your world that are clean and animals that are unclean. Animals that you would invite into your house to be a part of your family. We have done this crazy thing in our world. We have welcomed a nine pound mini wiener dog into Glendale Avenue. We have given him love and space. The longer he's alive, the more of the house he takes up. It started in the living room, and you know how this goes. And it expanded to the couch, and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Did I tell you he's nine pounds? But there's other kinds of animals in the world. Animals that we would not give a square inch of our heart to, a square inch of our life to, not one penny from our bank account to. So we know about that, clean and unclean. I have a bar of soap up here. Some of us grew up in houses that had clean and unclean words, anybody. And so maybe there's one or two of us who grew up in a house that if we used an unclean word, we would have some cleanliness come into our life through our mouth. Uh, I, this has never happened to me. But I did witness this happening to my brother. So I don't know if this is something that you grew up with. So as we read this today, 
I want you to think about clean and unclean. So Acts chapter 10. And also it like kind of works as like an air freshener. It's like, I'm actually going to put it just like over here because it's real intense. So Acts chapter 10, the heading in my Bible says, Cornelius calls for Peter. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So centurion is like a Roman soldier. And he and, he and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, in about, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And I know what you're all thinking, oh, how I would love a house by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him and had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. So there's a, there's a great obstacle in the early church. And the obstacle is that the Jesus way is going to bring law-abiding Jewish people into contact, into relationship with non-Jewish people. And from the Jewish perspective, there were things that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people would eat that they thought were disgusting. You know what this is like. Some of you in the house don't like beans. And you leave them on your plate. And when you go out to eat, like, hey, I'll have the whole thing, just not the beans. Like, you know what this is like. This is a food I want nothing to do with. One of the obstacles in the early church is that God does not just have love for Israel. But God has love for all. But God has not just come for Israel. He's not simply the God of Israel. He's the God of all. And the Jewish people aren't really sure what they think about this. Because practically speaking, Jewish people did not share food with non-Jewish people and did not share shelter with non-Jewish people. They had their own food, their own way, their own songs, their own dwellings. And the Jesus way is like, oh no, you guys, we're supposed to be in relationship with each other. We're supposed to relate to one another in a different way because you have embrace my way because you've embraced my love. So things are desired to be different. So let's talk a little bit about the city that this vision is taking place in. It's the city called Caesarea. I think we have a picture of Caesarea. So this is one of the Colosseums of the, uh, that's in Caesarea. You can kind of see this, this sea in the background. 
So imagine you're watching this play unfold with that sea behind you. Amazing. That harbor that's there is like 40 acres, and there's like 300 ships that would be able to come through that harbor, and there's goods and services and the whole deal. You're asking yourself, well, who built Caesarea? I'm so glad you asked. King Herod did. And Herod loved to build stuff. They're like, he was like Lloyd Companies. Like, boom, another apartment complex. Boom, another apartment complex. Oh, where's some land where I can build something on it? Right? That's what Herod did all over the place. Apologies if that's offensive to you if you work for them. I couldn't think of anybody when I thought of that example right now as I'm standing here. So that's Caesarea. And Caesarea is a city of mostly Gentiles. And something amazing happens. There's this man named Cornelius. And he comes to know who Jesus is. He comes to know God. And he has this vision. And there's something that God wants to do in and through his life. We're told he's a centurion. A centurion is a Roman soldier. And not just any Roman soldier. Like it took... 12 to 20 years to be able to be known as a centurion. And a centurion would have been in charge of a group of 100 Roman soldiers. So he was a big deal. Like he had authority and he had put in his time to be given that title. But it's so interesting. What's important to Luke is not the military status that Cornelius has. Because he says he's a fearer of God. Like, he's a worshiper of God. Like, that's what matters. So it's not just Cornelius' military status that's important for Luke, but his spiritual posture. And I think that's such an important word for our world today. Because there's so much effort that goes into how we are seen by everyone else, how we are known by everyone else when what the heart of God deeply cares about is what's your spiritual posture? Who are you before me? And are you a worshiper of God? Or are you a worshiper of self? I think it's amazing that the angel uses his name. Like, we read this, and it's just like, oh yeah, we're reading through. Imagine being in that moment. There's this angel, says Cornelius, calls him by name. And I also love that this angel speaks to his way of life. Did you notice the things that the angel notices? Speaks to, like, his way of life. Like, that he's somebody who prays, like, on a regular basis. And he's somebody who's giving to the poor. Like, he's got a spiritual practice of showing and revealing his dependence on God and his generosity. And then he sends for Peter. So the angel's like, hey, I want you to bring Peter to you. And so he sends, you know, a couple people that were under his command. Like, hey, I want you to go to Joppa, uh, which is 36 miles from Caesarea. So it's like here to Beersford, right? So that would have been like a two day journey. So be glad you don't live in the ancient world. Two days just to get to Beersford, okay? And then 
what we see in verse 9 is that this is not just a Gentile's vision, but now we have a Jewish vision. So, here's Peter's vision. Beginning in the ninth verse of the 10th chapter of Acts. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And some of you were like, yeah, I think I've been there. I think I've been like so hungry that like, yep, totally. Step into a restaurant, 45 minute late, been there in life. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything, what, impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the man sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So go up, so get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So while these men were being sent by Cornelius to go get Peter, while they're taking this 36-mile, two-day journey from Caesarea to Joppa, Peter goes up on this roof to pray. And he falls into this trance. And something incredible happens. Heaven opens. And there's really only a couple times in the scripture where we see heaven opening. And there's a couple of them I want to show you. So if you throw that slide up, it'd be awesome. Nice. So Jacob, in Genesis 28, like heaven, heaven opens and he has this vision. It's known as Jacob's Ladder. And God's giving Jacob a vision for how that he is the God of the nations. And then in Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, as Ezekiel is beginning his prophetic ministry, like heaven opens. So Ezekiel is not just seen with physical eyes, he's seen with spiritual eyes. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, he's baptized in the Jordan by John. And what happens? Heaven opens, right? And then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And then we read about this in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, when he was being stoned, heaven opens. And he has a vision. He sees Jesus, who is not sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. And then later in Revelation chapter 4. So whenever the scriptures are telling us that heaven is opening, like something extraordinary from God is about to be revealed. And he says that there's something like a sheet descends from heaven by the four corners, and it's filled with animals, birds, and reptiles, and four-footed 
animals. The implication is that there is food on this sheet that he would not eat. Like this is unpure, unclean things to him. And then verse verse 13, what Peter hears, it's the command that was given both to Aeneas and Tabitha, like we talked about last week. He says, get up. Like, get going, get moving, get on with it. This is, this is resurrection language. This sounds like what he says to Lazarus, to the tomb. Lazarus, come out. Peter, get up. Kill and eat. Peter, I've provided something for you here. And then verse 14. He's got a little bit of a different response than Lazarus does, than Tabitha and Aeneas Peter is one of those people who just has a bit of a habit of fighting with God, of wrestling with Jesus a little bit. And I actually think it's really important that we notice that. Because I just think that there are people, and that's also your experience with God. There's something that God wants to say to you, and you're like, I don't don't know, I don't really like that. I'm not sure I want to listen to that. And it's important that we also see people in the family of God who also had that experience. That life with God is just more messy than saying, you bet, I will do it, I will go. It's more complicated than that. And I love the example that we see of Peter in this situation. Surely not, Lord, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. As if God doesn't know what he's eaten in his life. I've never eaten anything impure. Like I've followed all the rules. I've done all of the stuff. But you cannot tempt me with this bird. Because I will not eat it. And then verse 15. The voice speaks to him a second time. And there's a different tone. Do not call anything impure that God has. Got a bit of a different, different tone there, different punch. And then verse 16. This happens a third time. And Luke is doing something here. He's purposely telling us how many times this happened. Because can you think of another interaction Peter has with Jesus where he says something three times or doesn't say And what Luke is pointing to, the four corners of this sheet, like it's this illustration, it's this picture of the entire world, suggestive of the whole earth. Because in the ancient world, there was really four different realms. You had heaven, and you had earth, and then you had under the earth, but then you also had on the sea. It was not viewed in the ancient world as kind of one thing, but four different realms. And those four corners of the sheet are indicative of that. And there's this punchline, I think, in this. Like, Peter, don't treat people the way you treat your food. Like, don't be be unwilling to understand and to receive the fact, like, don't call impure what I have already been made, what I've already made clean. 
And I think there's a question in this today, like is, like, is this true for any of us in the house tonight? Like, do not call impure what I have made clean. Can I just say tonight that I think there are some of us in the house who consider ourselves unclean? Like something's happened in our story. Something's happened in our life. And part of what God wants to say is quit calling yourself unclean. Because what I did on the cross actually means something. Like the forgiveness that I've extended to you actually counts for you. Not that it counts for everybody else and somehow doesn't count for you. But then there's other of us in the house who need to understand that not only does it apply to us, but it applies to other people too. Do not consider unclean what I have made clean. Because when God makes something clean, it's definitive. Like it's the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. This is not God stuttering. He's being very clear about what he has decisively done in human history. So Peter is being alerted to the reality of heaven. That heaven is not an address. Heaven is a force. And it's not organized the way that earth is. Because in heaven, all things are full. So in heaven, the conversation is not how do Jews and Gentiles live together. How do they sit around tables and eat together? How do they cultivate relationships together? There's no brokenness in heaven. And what's amazing about this moment is that as that sheet is floating down from heaven, so is the heart of God. And what God wants to see fill heaven is what, fill earth is what fills heaven. And so that reality is falling onto earth. Verse 15, don't call impure what God has made clean. And it's important to know it's that's different than not calling anything impure. Like there are some things that Jesus is not okay with. But the, the call in this moment is to hear the heart of God and what he has come to do on planet Earth. And so it's Palm Sunday. And so some of you were like, hey, we're going to do the Matthew 21 Palm Sunday deal. I saw some stuff on social media before here of kids running around at different churches with palm branches waving organic. So where is that? And there's an incredible moment in human history when Jesus is doing something very unexpected. He's riding into Jerusalem, not on a powerful white horse, but on a donkey. And I didn't have to tell you, in the ancient world, powerful people did not ride donkeys into the city and leave the people in uh, There's this guy named Judas, that he was called Judas the Hammer. And he rode in on a powerful white horse. And if your nickname's the hammer, I'll let you decide what he did in and through his life. 
And so all of the people are thinking that when Jesus calls himself the king, that what he's going to do is he is going to bury Rome. He's going to take over the government. And finally, finally, Rome is not going to dictate how things are anymore, but Jesus rides in on a donkey and the people are are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is this word that means save us. So Hosanna, son of David, would you come be our king? But for a lot of people who are gathered there, Jesus is riding on the wrong animal and he's the wrong kind of king. Because he's he's not the king who is going to come and remove Rome from ruling the universe. He's the kind of king who is going to come and give his life so that sin and death and hell no longer run the universe. So that forgiveness and resurrection and hope and grace is the way of the kingdom, not just in heaven. Remember, I said heaven's not an address, but a force. There's a lot that can change in 120 hours. It's 120 hours from Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us to crucify him. Crucify. Doesn't take that long. And so... God is saying through the angel unto Peter and unto us, do not call impure, for God has made clean. We do not get to dictate the way that God shows up in the world. What we get to dictate is how we will receive him. What we will do with Jesus. And I want you to invite the band up as we close tonight. You know, some of us next weekend are going to gather with some family. Maybe I want you to imagine, like, hey, you're gathering with your grandparents, and, you know, everybody's there, and you're enjoying this incredible meal. And, you know, it's important to, to remember that when we're, when we're in those gatherings, we're not gathering around food. We're not gathering around ham and mashed potatoes and, and salad. We're gathering around people. We're gathering around the grandparents. We're gathering around the parents and, and all that they have made possible for us. And their, their suffering, their hardship, like their heartache. And I think there's a, there's a warning To not gather around what Jesus can do for us, but to gather around Jesus. To not just gather around the hope that he gives, to not just gather around resurrection, to not just gather around forgiveness. Because there's a really thin line between worshiping Jesus and using And so when we are gathering with our family, we're gathering around the people, and there happens to be some food there. And when we step into this gathering, we're not gathering around a table that's representative of all the things that Jesus has done. 
Like we're gathering around the whole person of Jesus. So, yes, we are gathering around his promises. You bet. But we're also gathering around his correction. We're gathering around the moments when he says, no, 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 not so with you. We're gathering around his embrace. But we're also gathering around his nudge. And so Peter's message from on high is our message from on high. Do not call him pure. What I have made clean. And that forgiveness counts for you. And it counts for whatever them is in your life. Because we do not control the way that Jesus shows up in the world. What we get to be responsible for is what we will do with it. Somewhere in between. Hosanna, Hosanna. Crucify. Crucify. I want to invite uh, Jeff and Martha Froline up. They're going to help we serve a communion tonight over on this side. Uh, there's a little slide that we're going to put up that sort of explains how uh, we're going to do this. I mean, I'm not trying to be impressive in the house of God tonight, but uh, that's that'll just kind of that'll kind of help you. All right. So I didn't even take a seminary class to do that. I'm not trying to brag. Sorry. Um, awesome. And then Jenny's going to help me uh, on this side, and and as we receive the crackers and the juice tonight, just to encourage you to to consider that we're not gathering around the stuff that God can do for us, we're gathering around Him. And He's got some stuff that He wants to say to us, and so the posture of our heart is, I got two hands There's probably some stuff I've been considering impure. And there's some work that you still have to do. And I'm open to that. So if you want to grab those, that would be great. And then if you guys just want to stand Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for the table and for what it means for us, what it means for the world, for the way that it changes our posture, for the way that it changes our life, the way it changes the message that we carry. So we thank you for the name of Jesus and the power that is in his name, the hope that forgiveness is in his name and as we gather at this table we're grateful for the force of heaven that is tearing down barriers that is burying barriers and that is connecting people so God as we start this holy week we thank you for your coming we thank you for your embrace but we also thank you for your challenge Pray that we would receive all of that in Jesus' name and for Jesus' name. Amen. Would you invite you to, to come forward and receive from the table? 
Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.